You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. everyone, John Wertheim here. It is this week's Sports Illustrated slash Tennis Channel Tennis Podcast brought to you by Labor Cup. No, they're not really a sponsor, but it did seem as though everyone in tennis was singing the praise of this weekend-long competition that happened in Chicago at the United Center over the weekend. I had the good fortune of uh, spending a day and a half there, and this event is uh, legit. They get a lot of right on a lot of levels. To me, um, funny that... Barely two weeks, less than two weeks after the U.S. Open, we have another event that uh, really pierces uh, the public consciousness. Fun to uh, spend some time in Chicago, and we're going to break down the Labor Cup right now with Paul Anacone, former coach of Roger Federer, current Tennis Channel analyst, also working with uh, Taylor Fritz. Um, Paul was in Chicago all weekend, and we talk Labor Cup. Actually, we'll do it right now. I I feel like we can skip the step and say, uh, how did you like it? Everyone likes Labor Cup. It's like uh, it's like George Clooney and Tom Hanks. There's uh, there's no dissenting opinion. Um, you you liked it. I could tell by your uh, by your response. Yeah, I I, lo- I loved it. I mean, I loved it. Big, big success. No one's denying that. No one's debating that. What is it to you? Why why is this thing worked and why is it worked so quickly? I mean, it's it's amazing. After being in Chicago for four days, I remember the first day I walked in and I saw the size of the United Center. And I thought, okay, the United States, uh, September, tennis after the U.S. Open in an 18,000-seat venue, this might be a challenge. Cubs-White Sox weekend? Exactly. And then then I I wake up the first day, you know, Friday morning, and it's Friday, a work day at 1 o'clock, and it's packed. 
And I could not believe the level of passion and intensity from the fans, um, which was incredible. I mean, it was amazing to see that and it, from start to finish, Friday through Sunday. So I, I think there's a lot of ingredients, but really for me, most of it is driven by the intensity from the players. You know, people were worried last year, are these guys really going to try? What's it going to be like? And we saw it, and, and Jimmy Arias said the best thing. He said, you know how important it is to a player when you see if they're choking. And he, <laughs> Jimmy said, great. everybody's, cho- everybody's choking. Great. And, and so I, I think, I really think that, you know, the leaders, the best players, like last year, the highest-ranked players like Roger and Rafa, you know, they led by example. They were out there, you know, really doing what they could to win matches. And it's the same this year with Novak and, and with Novak trying so hard. And he went down in, in his matches but fought his butt off. Roger was digging in, trying to win doubles matches. You know, and then you see John Isner coming off just becoming a dad, just diving and doing. I mean, it's led by the passion from the players. Um, and that gets that huge crowd engaged. And then, you know, you can talk about all the other miscellaneous stuff, right? You know, tennis is such a t- traditional s- sport, but gosh, John, you look at the match tiebreak and you look at the intensity with players winning matches in a match tiebreak mm-hmm. and flipping the score after a tiebreak in the second set and then the quick turnaround and another group of players comes out. You know, you combine that scoring system with the fact that the, your whole team is sitting behind the bench and, oh, by the way, Bjorn Borg and John McEnroe are sitting on the benches. So, I mean, it's unbelievable. I, I never thought it would be this big this quickly. And, and I give so much credit, you know, to teammate, you know, Tony Godzik's company and Roger and also Tennis Australia, who, I mean, flew in, you know, half of their staff to basically run and manage it as well. So it, it was unbelievable. It really was. I don't know if people at home could also appreciate the production value. I mean, we were there the day they were setting up, and there's a spider cam, and there's a net cam, and there's you know, exercise equipment in the locker room. Um, I thought the, just the, the professionalism and the, the entire production setup, more than millions of dollars for a, for a you know three-day event. Um, but I, let's go back to the players, though, because I, I agree with you. I think that choking – I think that choking uh, – line is, is really telling, and I think you're right. You saw that. You saw nerves that you don't see. Uh, even, I, I Never mind at other exhibitions. I mean, I saw a level of intensity that you don't see necessarily at other tournaments. Um, yeah. But I still, mm-hmm. I'm still hung up on why is that? Is it we all want the respect of our peers? Is it, yeah, what, here's is what it, it is. It's, it's really, I think it's very simple, and the only thing I can equate it with is, is Davis Cup is that these players all grow up their whole life playing for themselves. You know, you grow up as an individual. And so very rarely do you get into an environment where you are in a group where you feel responsible for a team. And so all of a sudden you get put on a team and you see and hear your teammates on the sideline just you know, really into it, the pep talk in the locker room, 
I mean, you're, you're David Gofang. You're sitting there on the bench next to Borg, and then Roger comes up behind you and starts giving you coaching advice. I mean, it it, it is just ramped up pressure. Um, it's ramped up set of consequences in your mind, and I think the majority of it is driven by that team concept because it's so difficult to emulate that and in an individual sport players tennis players don't have to deal with it their whole life i mean the first time i played i mean i only played one davis cup tie in australia and i i literally injured my shoulder serving because i was so nervous my i was so tight i couldn't you know that sense of playing for a team and my country in davis cup i've never felt anything like that in my life so that's why when you combine the team um, atmosphere with the great players and the great man rod labor that this is named after and the intensity the players have these guys are nervous i mean the last three points roger played against john isner well you know I've seen him hit a lot of forehands. Those were steered <laughs> forehands. Right. He was Guiding. steering the ball in the court. I mean, he – and this is a guy that's won 20 majors. And, and so <laughs> everyone gets nervous. And I love the fact that the players have to conquer those nerves. So for me, it's just spect- – it's really spectacular. I'll tell you, I, I think four, four of the 12 matches I think had match points squandered. You know, Diego Schwartzman yeah. had match points against GoFan and didn't close. Um have you ever heard the uh, you ever heard the rattle what's it called the, the I think it's called the rattlestake experiment in psychology social psychology no. they they take kids and they divide them into groups you're the cougars and you're the rattlesnakes the ra- rattlers uh-huh. I think they call them and there's no basis for the division but within you know whatever half an hour of being on these two different teams you have some very serious feelings about the people on your team sort of in group and you have very negative feelings about the people out of group. So they say to these kids, you know, someone stole a candy bar and he was a rattler. And the rattler's like, oh, let him off. It's only shoplifting. And the people on the other team say, that's serious business. He should, you know, be, be grounded for a month. And the point is that we form these bonds based on very little. So uh-huh. someone, someone has, you know, hey, someone's born in October and you love that person. Someone right. has, your, has your initials. And it struck me, there's a, a long way of saying, uh, I'm not sure this Europe versus the world particularly matters. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, we, England's trying to break away from the EU, and I'm not sure uh, John Isner has particularly strong feelings for Diego Schwartzman as a world member that he would not have for... I mean, to me, what was interesting, too, is it's not Davis Cup where everyone's playing for one team in one country. These distinctions, it's a little bit of eeny, meeny, miny, mo, isn't it? I mean, I'm, I'm not sure Europe, I'm not it sure is. players no, on no, tour. You're, and the, you're, that make sense? you're 100% right. I saw some people criticizing, you know, they got to get rid of the rest of the world thing or they've got to. And I'm just like, well, what, why? I mean, what, 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 I mean, just look at, you know, look, I, I went to the opening night gala and I saw these guys introduce each other and I saw Isner and, and Schwartzman give each other a bit, you know, Schwartzman introduced Isner as his twin, <laughs> right, you know, right, and he gave right. him a big hug and, it, you know, the, you're you're right. They 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 build a bond so quickly, and 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 I think some of that is because the players also are starved for that, you know, team camaraderie. I mean, look look right. at Nick Kyrgios, John. How much have we talked about, 
you know, his inability to stay consistently motivated. He's unbelievable in a team environment. I mean, he's the guy that's out there the most, cheering and pulling his opponents, I mean, pulling his uh, teammates up. And, I mean, he loves this. So you, you throw these guys on teams and expectations are magnified, pressure's magnified, peer pressure's magnified, the sense of loss and consequences are magnified. And all this, when you throw it in an arena like they did in Chicago, which was fully packed and which was produced to the nines, makes it unbelievable. I mean, it was just a, it was just top of the line. I'm telling you, it's uh, so so. How much of this is great event? I think it's very buttoned up. Players like it. It's got a lot of forces going for it. And how much of this is? Wait a second. Maybe we need to step back and really reassess tennis you mentioned the match tie break other players i mean other other people have mentioned uh the emphasis on doubles we're talking about a team environment i mean i i wonder how much we should be thinking macro at this event and what what lessons do we take away for cincinnati yeah it definitely begs the question doesn't it i mean look i'm a dinosaur i'm a traditionalist i want three out of five in the majors i do want tie breaks in the fifth set but i want three out of five in the majors you know i'm a traditionalist but i'll tell you what you go to an environment like that and you spend three days there and you listen and feel an eighteen thousand seat venue shake and you watch players knees buckle under pressure and you sweat in your palms while you're watching matches it definitely makes you think and and it makes you wonder about scoring system and what works in the future and and look i think there's room for everything i really do but by virtue of having this special situation kind of stick out for me it makes me go okay davis cup now what are you guys thinking <laughs> you know, okay, yeah, exactly. you know, Fed Cup, exactly. okay, Fed Cup, okay, World Team Cup. Now, what are you guys thinking? I mean, to me, these this type of format um, really, you know, lights a candle of question in the minds of so many. And like I said, I, I, I am a traditionalist, but you know, we saw how many feathers were ruffled by tweaking the Davis Cup format pretty significantly. You know, two out of three sets, one week in the year, and that's the that's one of the issues with having such a fractured tennis um, governing structure that we have, is that there are so many different opinions, and none of them are wrong. They're just different. But one of the curses that we've fought our whole lives in tennis is the inability to be fluid, the inability to be malleable, and 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 be open to other possibilities and and i think that this definitely you know flicks that light bulb in your mind of hmm there is room for stuff like this does it mean it should be everything probably not but it gives us it gives us something to talk about that's for sure um and it gives it opportunity to do things a little bit differently and that's why i don't want to suffocate or smother Davis Cup right away, or, or or say, wow, this is the greatest thing for Davis Cup right away. Because yeah. I, I think you have to see what happens. Because like I said, John, I was in the car, you know, eight years ago with Roger and Tony Godzik when they started talking about this, and Roger going, you know, we really should do something for Rod Laver and that generation, and blah. And I remember how excited he was about it. And I was like, how's it even going to work? How are you going to make this fit? You know, and then. 
you know, saw what happened in Prague last year, and then to physically be in the United Center, I, I, I still, my jaw is still kind of dragging on the ground. I couldn't believe the level of intensity and the level of passion and just the fulfillment of all the fans and the sponsors and the play. I mean, it was, un, they, were, they didn't miss a beat. It was really incredible. <laughs> don't, you, don't you think the, uh, the, the fans sort of took their cue from the players as well? And if, if yeah, these guys had handed, I, I, you know, I mean, it's if these yeah, guys I were. Yeah, I do. Like I said, that drives it. You know, that drives it. If they're out there kidding around and not caring, right. then it's different. But the fans saw from day one, you know, they saw day one these guys really giving 110%. They saw, you know, Roger and Novak losing doubles the first day. You know, they saw, you know, um, Francis Tiafo, you know, go down to Dimitrov, but digging and scraping and scrounging, and and they just got into it, and then they fought, they took the lead of the players. So if the players compete and they fight, and there's intensity, and let's you know let's give Chicago a little clap, all right? I mean, they haven't had pro tennis in so many years. This is an amazing city that loves tennis. You know, this is an amazing city with a great fan base. And they just took it and ran with it. And it was so much fun to be a part of. I, the one thing I think bodes well for Davis Cup is that, you know, Roger went to Chicago, I think with Kyrgios, um, yeah, in, between, in, March, in between, yeah. yeah, in between Indian Wells and Miami. So that was already, I mean, that was six months of buildup. And they ate deep dish pizza and they went to the Bean in Millennium Park and they saw the Frank Gehry and they sort of got their photo ops in. The way Davis Cup works, you don't have that luxury. You can't six months out say, here's the date, here's the surface, here's the venue, here's where it's going to be. So the fact that you had all this time for Chicago to get behind it, we already know Labor Cup 3 is going to be in Geneva. I think the 12 months out buildup is a huge advantage, That's which it occurred to me that's something this new reform Davis Cup I think can really benefit from. That it's not, yeah, well, 100%. if Croatia wins, we've got to cross an ocean and play on clay. But if Australia wins, we're going to cross a different ocean and might play on indoors. I mean, I think the fact that you have this this lead time is something that's really going to benefit this new Davis Cup. Yeah, it should, right? You know, you know in November where, you know, you know where it's going to be. And you know, you know, at least four of the teams that are going to be there. So you can start marketing that. And the other stuff is going to be decided in February, right, with the home and away ties in February. So you have a foundation, a foundation to build on. That's why, that's why I don't want to sledgehammer the Davis Cup totally right now. They're trying to figure it out. This is a start and a step in a direction. Is this going to be the end game? Probably not, but what worries me more, John, is just the confluence of all of the different team competitions right. now. What's going to happen with Davis Cup, with ATP World Cup, with uh, Labor Cup? How are we going to, you know, again, this fractured community that we live in in tennis and everyone trying to be proprietary about what they want makes it a challenge. And that's why our leaders all have to be open-minded, expansive thinkers, and God forbid, be a little bit selfless for the betterment of the game. So there's a lot of stuff to be worked out, but you hit the nail on the head about Davis Cup. One of the good things now is, okay, you know four of the teams that are going to be there in November. Let's try to figure out how to do some uh, preliminary sponsorship stuff, some preliminary build-up. And you mentioned, you know, last February, Labor Cup, Roger and Kyrgios and John McEnroe and Rod, they were they were in Chicago having right. deep-dish pizza, meet, you know, 
um, meeting Rahm Emanuel and going through the city and shaking hands with kids and doing some grassroots stuff. And I'll tell you what, that doesn't fall on deaf ears, and we saw the result of that this weekend. Also, I, I did not see a lot of fans saying, boy, this was great, but I wish they played best out of five. I wish there were a good four-and-a-half-hour match sandwiched in there. I did not hear uh, exactly. too, too many fans feeling shortchanged. Um, let me ask you, uh, are there... Were there tennis takeaways? I mean, did you walk out of there saying whatever it was? I mean, boy, X player impressed me, or Diego Schwartzman didn't close those match points, or Djokovic lost more matches over the weekend in Chicago than he has since the French Open. Um, right. Were there, were there any sort of on-court between-the-lines tennis takeaways that struck you? Um, <laughs> like I started off in our conversation, it's just as a tennis person for me, it's just amazing to see pressure very, very tangibly. Right, and right. you don't always see that. And, and, and it was magnified this weekend. And like I said, I saw Roger get nervous. I saw Novak get nervous. I saw Isner get nervous. I saw everybody have to deal with a different kind of nerves. I saw Sasha Zverev get very nervous and, and, the, and you know, double faults. And I saw him have to fight through it against Kevin Anderson. And I saw Kevin play unbelievably you know, flawless against Novak. And I saw Novak get a little bit tight. And then I saw Kevin Anderson get tight against Zverev in the last match. So it's the seesaw of the players battling the emotional uh, fluctuations from ecstasy to the disaster of losing and having to wrestle that in their own mind. So for me to see that as a tennis person, it's a, I guess it's a little bit sadistic, but I'd love to watch them try to figure that stuff out. And that adds to the drama. That adds to the moment. Um, it didn't, I didn't come away with any huge different feelings about any of the players because the environment was so different, right. but it was a, it was a, um, it, it, there, it was a group of great players that all seemed to embrace the moment in their own way. And the more you're in that situation, the better that you're going to get at it, whether it's Davis cup or labor cup. So I think for the young players, it's the most difficult. I think Jack struggled in singles. He's been struggling you know, this year in singles anyway. Um, and, and, but look, to me, it's so hard to take one or two little ingredients without looking at the whole end result, the whole end product. And that end product is unbelievable. Uh, do you bring it back to Chicago in two years? Can, can you, Boy, do, can you do that? Well, I mean, the, the flip side would say, listen, it's, it's the rest of the world. Never mind Chicago. We shouldn't even have it in the U S in two years, but, uh, I think you have I don't to know be, how you turn think, your back you know, on it. Look, I, I, I wouldn't be I, – I say why not just in terms of I'm still trying to catch my breath from the arena and the venue and the fan support. But like you, you mentioned, John, if they go out and they promote it and, and you know, they go to South America and, and they get the passionate fans down there and Del Potro's playing. And, I mean, it, that, I just think – I think it works everywhere. I mean, I think you get the – it's a star-driven sport. You get the stars there and you get that kind of environment, it's going to work. And you get the production value, you know, that teammate put out there with Tennis Australia and the other partners, that's going to work anywhere. That, that's good. It can't not work unless, you know, unless they just manage it really, really poorly, which I don't see happening now. Here come the hard questions. You, you, can, let me do right. the, uh, you can let me do the dirty work. Um, right. A, it seems to me this was in many ways also 
Roger Federer appreciation. And you saw a lot of fans with RF apparel, as, as you might expect mm-hmm. to. You saw a lot of Roger's sponsors. Obviously, this was done under the auspices of, of his management group. He, I think, very much mm-hmm. took on the role of, of host. He was very gracious. He was very uh, sort of uh, accommodating. When is he not? But uh, mm-hmm. does, does this work without Roger Federer? If this is Kevin Anderson against Luca Pui, does, does this work? I don't think it works without the superstars. And whether it's Roger, you know, it doesn't work without Roger Novak or Roger Rafa or Andy. And, and look, let's, let's be clear here. I mean, Roger's Roger, you know, and he and he and Rafa have kind of separated themselves, I think kind of unfairly, because Novak Djokovic is one of the greatest players in the history of the game. I mean, he is unbelievable with what he's done on a tennis court and with his foundation, and he's he's expanded as a human being and as a person. I feel, this sounds really bizarre, but I feel badly for Novak that he's in the Rafa and Roger era. I mean, I I really do. I I really do. Totally agree. Um, yeah, I mean, totally agree. it's unbelievable. And, and he walks on the court, and he gets an, a, a raucous ovation, and then they introduce Roger right next to it, and the roof almost blows <laughs> right, off. Right. And it's, it's just, you know, but that's human nature, right? That's what happens. It's, you know, it's like the, it's the great young baseball player, you know, that gets introduced right before Hank Aaron back in the day or someone that gets, you know, it, it would be like Stephen Curry getting introduced right before Michael Jordan comes on. Right. You know, it just, right. it's just so difficult to, to deal with that. I think Novak's had to unfairly deal with that because that's just human nature. But at the end of the day, it will come out in the wash. I mean, the guys won two majors this year. Um, I, I'm avoiding the question a little bit, but not really. The thing I'm, that I want to say is it's a star-driven sport. The stars have to be there. Do they all have to be there? Clearly not. Rafa wasn't there this year. But if, if, if Roger and Rafa weren't there and it was just Novak, that would be more challenging in the U.S. Um, I, I think the more of those stars you have, the better. But if you have two of them, if you have Roger and Novak or Novak and Rafa in Europe, I, I think those things work. Nothing will be as impactful without the most recognizable person there. And probably Roger's the most recognizable person right now. Right. So it's like, you know, it would be like, it would be like doing it with all the stars except Serena. You know, and she's so monumentally bigger than everyone else. It's going to be an impact. But I think you can do it as long as you have some of the stars. You can't do it without them, though. Um, you know what else struck me? Jump in here, which is you, you mentioned Tennis Australia. I mean, the USTA also has a you know, multimillion-dollar sure. investment in this. Yep. This strikes me as a real challenge to the majors. I mean, recently the majors have gotten very, very strong. The four ten poles that rise high above everything else more so than a Masters 1000, more so than mixed events, Indian Wells even. This strikes me as something that could really challenge the majors. It's a completely different format. It's it's not seven rounds. It's three days. It's not mm-hmm. prize money and points. But I, I just thought it was funny to see this sort of investment from the USDA and Tennis Australia when I, I think this event could really be a disruptor to their business. I to the, I, their business I would... I would disagree a little bit, John, because I think it's so different because the majors are 128 draw over two weeks. 
I, I actually think it's less of a disruptor and more of, it's hard to say this, I don't mean this in a tongue-in-cheek way, but it's more of the side dish. It's more of the great salad next to the beautiful steak and lobster, which are, the, you know, I don't think it's as much of a disruptor because number one of where it is in the calendar and number two, I actually think the format's so different that I, I, I don't think it would threaten the majors because of that. I, that that's how I look at it, but I, I might be off base, but that's just kind of my sense of it. And I think that's probably why the USTA and Tennis Australia are involved because they see it as something so different. It's not something that's 14 days. It's men and women that it's just driven by the federations that it's, you know, right, I, I don't right. look at it that way. My, my bigger concern really is just last time I checked, there's 52 weeks in the calendar that's, and I don't think yeah. there's going to be any more <clears throat> added anytime soon. That's Tennis's what worries me challenge. most. Yeah, this is, and you know, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, the, the gossip is, there are a number of entities gunning for this September date, and Labor Cup will have to uh, defend its turf. Um, the, the tennis calendar rears its head again. You, you mentioned women. Is, is there any reason this couldn't be dual-gendered? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I'd, I would like to see how it would work. I'd like to see what the, you know, what do you do then? Do you just have, do you have six men and six women? Do you have four and five? You know, I'd like to hear the conversations about the pros and cons of it. Could you imagine, though, if Serena That's was there exactly, as well? Serena exactly. And Venus and, and, and Simona Halep and Sloan's there and you have Pliskova and, you know, you have right. the other, Muguruza, the other major. I mean, boy, oh, boy. I mean, talk about a product. Holy cow. <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd like to hear how the – I mean, I've, I haven't given the format consideration at all, but I'd love to hear about it and – it could be spectacular, and and if it isn't, if it doesn't do that, you know, should the women be entertaining this? I mean, well, that's I what I you. yeah. Maybe they do that separately. Maybe and, yeah. and apparently the USTA is looking into this. There might be some Billie Jean King involvement, but no. Why? You know, Serena and Naomi Osaka playing doubles against Wozniacki and Halep. Um, right. I'm watching that. Yeah. Why? Why not? And and you know, have Billie Jean King up there on the, exactly. on the mantle. I mean, it's well deserved, and it's something that makes a ton of sense. I mean, if I were, if I were, you know, the women, I would be thinking about why. Boy, this would be great for us, and I think it's a great platform. All right. Let me ask you this too, which which struck me as as a thought exercise. But uh, does this event work? I, I think a lot of this event is predicated what you said on players or individuals, but. These guys especially really seem to be team sports fans, whether it's Roger, Rafa, and soccer, Isner, Sock, go down, go down the list. But I also, there is a certain camaraderie and warmth among the top players that I'm not sure has always been there. Um, mm-hmm. would, would an event like this have worked in your era where you did not necessarily have this uh, amity among the stars? You think, you, got, you, think you guys would have gotten behind this? I mean, I, 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 you know, I don't think so. Um, but also in my era and the era just after that, there was less of a fracture between Davis Cup and team stuff and the individual things. So I don't know that it would have been as welcomed. In other words, um, I think Davis Cup back then had more prominence than it does right now. Maybe need, prominence is probably the, a bad word. Maybe more visibility and perceived accolades outside of the industry than it does right now and so maybe there wasn't the opportunity then 
and right. and okay. but I, I think you're right. I think because look, let's be honest. You know, we saw the prize money increases in in slams, and who drove that? Roger and Rafa and Novak and Andy, and they all talk together. So right. they're yeah, they can work together. They can do stuff together. So to me, if I'm the tennis community. It's great that the top guys are united, but it's also a little scary, if you ask me. <laughs> I, I got a kick out of this with, uh, I mean, if you if you looked at the various uh, sort of the matrix of the big four, and I, I don't, I think this is an open secret. I, I would say the one with the most friction is probably Roger and Novak, uh, of all the dimensions you could go with the big four. And even mm-hmm. those two guys, you know, the, the wives are posing for selfies and they're hugging each other and they're playing doubles and Novak hits Roger in the waist and they both giggle about it. When the relationship with the most friction is Roger and Novak, I think that says an awful lot about the level of respect and fondness that these four guys have. And I, I got to think that trickles down to the rest of the field. If the big four can all have this civility, when you're Nick Curious, are you really going to have a beef with another player at your level? Right. No, they look, and it's, it's like, look, it's just like life, right? The leaders, you know, when they lead by example, it's much easier to follow. It's like what I said to you about, you know, about the competition. When these other guys see Roger and Rafa and Novak diving and scraping and scrounging and frustrated and banging rackets and exulting in joy, I'm not going to go out there and not try, <laughs> are right, you? Right, right. The leader, leader <laughs> so, sets the culture. Yeah, so they 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 set the culture, and you're right, you know. And and Roger and Novak, look, they talked about it. Novak was coaching Roger when he was playing. Roger was coaching Novak. They played doubles together. Um, yeah, I mean, I just I just think that in a, it's so great to see the unification. My point was, you know, whenever players talk about player issues, um, and you see those four with the ability to communicate and collaborate. Right. Uh, there's right. a lot right. of power there. There's a lot of possibility. That's a good block. That's a good. Uh, that's a really good point. And I, yeah. I mean, we didn't even talk about the coaching. I, I never thought I'd see Kyle Edmund shouting out some really sound strategic advice to uh, guys ranked ahead of him. Um, what? Yeah. Uh, what else you got the rest of the year? I mean, are you? Um, yeah, um, tennis, it's always what do I weird. The right? rest of the year, I've got you know, we got some Asian swing we're going to take care of over at Tennis Channel, which will be a lot of fun. I'm going to spend a little time with uh, Taylor Fritz and David Nankin. David does uh, all the heavy lifting, and then, you know me, John, I jump in and grab the glory, and then when he's not winning, I say, geez, it's David's fault. Yeah, they need me on the set. I'm doing uh, hair and makeup need me. Um, if you're uh, If you're Taylor Fritz or a player of his caliber, uh, how big a deal is it for you to uh, – I mean, is, he, is he setting aside on playing Labor Cup in 2019? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. He would love to play Labor Cup. I mean, he, he would love to play Labor Cup. And I, I've got to tell you, I, I, have, I have received more texts from people and tennis people about the level and um, yep. enthusiasm mm-hmm. from last weekend than I've ever gotten in my – I mean, I, I'm not going to name names, but I've had people say I've never seen anything like that. And it was the most fun three days I've ever seen in tennis. So, yeah, I think the players are going to want to participate. They're going to want to be involved. And I just think the event's going to get bigger and better. I love Nick Kyrgios' line. 
if if only there were one of these every week, I'd be so much more exactly. engaged with the that's sport. The cure. <laughs> that's the cure for Nick. That's the cure for Nick. Yeah. He'd have the passion to do it consistently. Um, all right. No, good, good, uh, good event. Pleasure working with you as uh, as always. Oh, oh, by the way, hey, last question. And I, yeah. I, I don't say this uh, to be a smart. I'm, I'm dead serious. Who, who do you think won our bet? You, you and I had a bit of a disagreement over uh, whether Roger and Novak would be a superior team to, to, to Sock and Anderson. No, you won. And you I, won I, the I didn't. Bet. Honestly, you, I was flying you, back. Yeah, I didn't see you, the match. Yeah, because no, because I, I, I well, the question was who's the favorite, and right. I, I favored, I favored Roger and Novak, and um, I, you know. You know what's interesting? You definitely won. So, did we bet dinner or anything? No, come dinner on. For that? No, it was a okay. gentleman's bet. No, but no. The yeah. interesting thing is, you know what I didn't take into consideration, which was very naive of me. A little bit of the Mickelson Tiger Woods syndrome playing together um, is that when you have two greats like that, it's very difficult to figure out. I think it's more difficult to figure out a role. Like right. for instance, when yeah. I watched. Roger played with Sasha Zverev on Sunday. He was crossing. He was trying to take over. He was trying to be a little bit more of the alpha. And then when you have Roger and Novak, who's supposed to have that role? Who's supposed to? It's a very, it's a, it's a very interesting dynamic. But no, Jack, you know, Jack won all three of his doubles matches, and he played great doubles. I actually, you know, he's he's the modern day doubles guy. But I, I think we gotta we gotta be careful because Mike Bryan. You know he's pretty darn good, and I'm not so sure I'm going to say Jack's the best, best doubles, doubles player, player in the world. I would say I would say Jack might be the best modern doubles guy right now, um, Ooh, but I think well if if, uh, if we shortchange Mike, we do it uh, at our own peril. I, I you know what's funny about Jack Sox? As long as you brought him up, his singles game incorporates not a lot of his doubles expertise. I mean he he has great. I mean singles game is is what it is, right? I mean it's, it's a big forehand, yep. good athlete, hits yep. a nice serve. His doubles game is sort of filled with risk taking at the net and these these clever great great set of hands, but also some some yep. really clever angles. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't know if he just I mean we we told him that he came to the set and we talked about that and said boy you're great at doubles and he was a little sheepish about it and was clearly you know listen I'd much rather we were talking about my singles. Um, yeah, I think I, I think he's one of those guys that's much more naturally gifted at doubles. And I can tell you, I mean, I was not Jack Sock at all, but I got to three in the world in doubles and 12 in singles. Doubles was way easier for me. I always felt, I mean, it was just, uh, I didn't question myself nearly as much. I It came much more naturally. The points are quicker. There's less heavy lifting. And dare I say, in doubles, there tends to be less prolonged problem solving doubles is more instinctive it happens more quickly it happens in in a time frame that's very 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 short in singles particularly in today's day and age you have to be really resilient mentally and you have to be really able to think on your feet for prolonged periods of time without letting emotional things drive what conclusions you come to. that That's a challenge. That's tough. It sounds like two different sports. I, I bet uh, if, you, if you'd said at the beginning of the year, Jack Sock, currently in the top 10, on October 1st will have made more money in doubles than in singles this year. 
you would you yeah, wonder exactly how shocking. that was going to break. Anyway, I mean that's just sho- uh, that's shocking. And look, he's a great player. He just needs to he needs to get his confidence back because his average level has been so misleading this year. I mean, his average level on a bad year he should be 30 in the in the world on a bad year. And if he's if he keeps going, he's going to be outside the top hundred. So. I mean, that, that to me is almost, it's such an aberration. Um, he just needs to have, you know, he needs to have some hard conversations with himself, and he needs to find a pool of relentless optimism that does not get shaken when he plays in matches. Right. And that just is going to take a little bit of time. Man, where, where you, you go, go to Australia as a top 10 seed, you go back the following year, and you have to qualify, but you have won two straight majors in doubles. Been an interesting yeah. twelve interesting twelve months for Jack Suck. All right, that uh, go enjoy California. I've, I've kept you long enough. Thanks, this was great. Those was great. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, thanks a lot, you guys. All right, thanks to Paul Anacone for spending some time with us talking Labor Cup. Great event, and again, uh, I encourage the tennis powers that be, such as they are, to really take a long, hard look at what worked and what didn't. Um, things like. Coaching and scoring and time of match and optics presentation. Um, I think a lot of that really ought to be considered in a broader discussion. Uh, anyway, Jamie Lasanti, you were listening to that conversation. Um, you watch watch much Labor Cup? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Watched a lot of, as you said, the tennis community chatting about everything on Twitter. Uh, as you said, everyone was really into it. I don't say this facetiously. Did anyone have material objections? Was anyone sort of non-snarkily, I, any, any no, real I think, complaints? I mean, it's I hard to find fault. People who weren't there were probably mad that they weren't there. Um, I wanted to ask you what, uh, I mean, you talked about it a lot with Paul, but being there, what was kind of one thing that you took away from the event or that you didn't realize, um, you know, happened at the event until you actually got to be there and see it? Yeah, it's great. I mean, the players sort of, this is not an exhibition, was a talking point before the first Labor Cup. I mean, it's always been clearly something that's been very important to the organizers. This is not hit and giggle. This is not let the ball kids play a point for you. But you can only fake it so much. And I saw more intensity. And some of that was what Paul was talking about during the matches. But some of that was just the players got in early and they did their workouts and they brought their hitting partners from home. Kyle Edmund, I mean, players were bringing in their coaches who keep in mind had just in a lot of cases crossed oceans to spend two weeks at the u.s open Mm -hmm. there was an exercise bike where players got a sweat going before they took the court they were stretching novak had his bands never mind the match itself and going the extra effort to dig up that ball in the corner i mean the way they approached the whole weekend was so professional you really did have this unshakable sense that it really mattered to these players i also think that something that gets lost is how much we all, and I think this is true for just about any profession, how much people want and crave and need and value the respect of their peers. These were, That's a good point. you know, we're, we're talking about 12 players. These right. are the best in the world. This was, nobody wanted to be humiliated. This isn't the NBA All-Star game where everybody's there for a good time and the party the night before and the party. The, I think it really mattered to these players that they give a good accounting of themselves in front of their peers. And some of that meant face-to-face of the player on the other side of the net. But I think these players, these are their colleagues. They're also their opponents. I think they all wanted their the rest of the field to respect their tennis, the way they went about their job, their level of professionalism. If you were a joke, I mean, if there were 11 guys there who were 
putting in their work and one guy's blowing it off, that's going to have all sorts of – players are going to remember that. You can't go there and go on vacation. You're you can't, there to, exactly. You're there to prove yourself. I, I think – and if you did go on vacation, I think that would be really to your competitive – detriment later on i mean this was a way for players really to see how the other guys work out how they conduct their business how they practice in a way that you probably don't have at a conventional sounds like conventional a conventional tournament it's a weird di- the whole thing was a weird boys dynamic club of there a was definitely test weekend kind th- of thing there was oh yeah i like that that sounds like a reality show yeah exactly that's kind of a, what i'm um, thinking like you're there on vacation but you're actually here to uh really you gotta prove, prove your medal yeah, yeah exactly it's funny you mentioned the all-star game because i did get some vibes of that and it, you know only because it seemed very um, because there are no ranking points and things like that, because right. there's so much kind of freedom in a way, and they're joking around a lot. And you, I guess, because you see the players interact, it's kind of like the All Star Game where I mean, you don't really ever get to see LeBron James and Kevin Durant kind of like just hanging out, right? And so this this brings that for tennis. Um, but it's interesting that you say that unlike the All Star Game, they're very much oh, man, into this, that. and it's it's not just emotion in a fun way but it's kind of passion and emotion in like a i want to win i need to play good type of way it um and it's everything i mean it was the catering in the players locker room it was this team of stringers I maybe mean, go to a, a regular exhibition they don't have 12 guys frantically stringing rackets is that because thought... federer is hosting the party is that is that from no i mean i, I do think that you federer I mean? played this outside role in the whole thing and i think a lot of people took their cue from him and a lot of the sponsors were his sponsors and i i do think uh my one concern is when x years from now and you hope it's 20 but when roger federer is no longer a participant does right. this lose a little bit but um no i thought the i mean it was really kind of fascinating just the whole psychology of it I mean, I figure a social psychologist would have a field day with team versus individual and a lot of sort of the alpha male stuff we were talking about, about what motivates these players. They're getting paid the same amount whether they lose 0-0 or whether right. they win the trophy. There are no ranking points, and yet why does it matter what so much? And yeah. Why is Nick Kyrgios showing more effort at this event than he is Do in the middle, the weekend, middle weekend of a major? I, I think he's someone who really Not just him, needs a team like, environment. What? What is it about? I don't know. I mean, it's also the the Davis Cup is one thing, and you're playing for the flag, and you've got the flag on right. your uniform. They're right. playing the national anthem, and the chair umpire says, advantage, Serbia. This is like the most arbitrary distinctions. I mean, and Serbia versus Switzerland may as well be Saskatchewan and Puerto Rico. Like, there's, there's no unity Europe versus the rest of the right. world. Right, and this is, I mean, talk about... Davis Cup, that has, like, history. I mean, you're playing for your country. It's something that's been happening forever. This is right. literally, like... You're too. Yeah, like, it's <laughs> going on for two years. Like, there's no history here. There's nothing back in the day. Like, no one's saying, you know, it's not there yet. Yeah, right, so, right. I don't... Um, Came out of the box strong. Yeah, that's one of the one... The, the biggest part that interests me is sort of watching the passion and the emotion. And I'm sure everyone at home is also kind of wondering the same thing as what's sort of driving these players as you said uh you know they're getting paid the same so like it's it's not the ranking points it's not the money it's not the you know country pride you know so right. what is it you well i mean the other thing i got which really intrigues me was you really got a sense of roger Federer as host i don't know what you want to call it i mean it was, no, it was sort of roger's really weekend it, it was it was a roger weekend he was very much uh sort of at once you, you watch succession no, I don't. All right, bad, bad reference there. Um, no, but he, Ro- Roger, was running the show, and it was clearly an event for him. I mean, I think safe to say there's there's a financial 
right. stake for him. There's an image stake. This was sort of his event. He was very much a man about town. He was a greeter. He was very gracious as a host, and he played in the event. And what it got me thinking is, what is Roger Federer's role going to be in tennis? I mean, he, and I, I say that this is going to sound pejorative, but it's really not. He really knows how to work a room. Right. He's very gracious. He comes dressed for the occasion. You know, he, he saw me, he shook my hand. Thanks for coming. It was right. a five-second interaction, but you walk away and you're like, oh, I love this guy. Right. Um, there is a real grace and polish to him, and it got me thinking, what is his role in tennis when he is done playing? Because he's perhaps the singular, I, I was going to say the rare, but I think the singular person who could bring together all these forces, and he has the financial backing you know, there's the mil- millions of dollars the, in production. Right. I mean, that you know, you, you play one night in Toledo and you don't have a spider cam and you don't have this kind of infrastructure. I mean, I think Roger. No, but when Roger Federer was, calls the spider cam company exactly. and says, "Hey, I'm I'm putting or, I'm doing this," right? Or he brings Whatever. in J.P. Morgan and exactly. suddenly has a million dollars in production to play with. It's I, I tell you, the one thing I really got me thinking is what does this auger? What does it say about Roger Federer's future role in tennis? Because he really has. A knack for bringing, it sounds trite, but he really is a knack for bringing people together. So once he's done playing, you think that this can sort of continue with him being a host solely and not a host and a participant, maybe. We we joke about the commissioner of tennis, and if only the sport had a commissioner, and what would a commissioner do about everything from Carlos Ramos to putting roofs on stadiums to equal prize money? I think there really might be some if he wants it, some Mount Olympus role. I mean, there, there really was um, there really was a sense that this was a businessman, a politician, and an athlete all at once, and he got it all to work. Yeah, it just feels very like you get invited to, you know, the Big Shot's house for the weekend, and this is, you know, they, they put on this <laughs> yeah, big right, party, right. and, like, you're there. You got to play well for the boss. Yeah, mm-hmm. kind of thing. It, it has those vibes to me. Um, but overall – Exciting. It's exciting to yeah, see I, what... Yeah, I did not think 10 days after the U.S. Open, ten, right, tennis right. was going to have this kind of spot in the uh, in the conversation. Um, anything else uh, tennis-wise you want to uh, discuss? Naomi Osaka, nice... Uh, yeah. So don't you think? It's nice to see her sort of get back and not pull what other players have in the past. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's good. I feel like maybe she just took the trophy, put it on the shelf... Close the door, back to business. I think and the fact that it was in Asia, I think, is significant uh, as well. No, I think that said a lot. I mean, we, we've, I mean, last year, the 2017 U.S. Open might be a particularly extreme example, but you're right. We have seen players win majors, and not, not unreasonably. No, Maybe I take, mean, take some time off and okay. regroup, and uh, Naomi Osaka, right back to work. I think that really said an awful lot. I got a little bit lost in, in the news um, you know, again, Labor Cup was definitely the dominant tennis conversation, but uh, nice, nice accounting of herself by Naomi Osaka. Let's uh, let's acknowledge that. All right, let's um, let's wrap. We'll do another one in a week. Sounds good. All right, thanks for listening, everyone. Keep the guest suggestions coming. Thanks to Paul Anacone. Thanks as always to Jamie, and uh, have a good week. Everyone.